Hello and welcome to another episode of The Abundant Edge, the podcast all about the worlds of natural building, permaculture, and regenerative living. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have another fantastic interview for you in this session. So let's jump right on in. Have you ever struggled to find answers to permaculture and regenerative living questions in the mess of search results, forums, and blogs of questionable quality? Well, your search is now over with the treasure trove of information, interviews, and practical knowledge in the Permaculture Magazine of North America. As the first offshoot of the beloved Permaculture Magazine International out of the UK, there is now a regional edition to help strengthen permaculture knowledge throughout North America. This is one of my own favorite go-to resources for the latest information on innovation and news in the permaculture world. If you visit permaculturemag.org to sign up for your hard copy subscription today, you'll get the 25-year digital archive of Permaculture Magazine International as a free bonus. And just for listeners of The Abundant Edge, you can now receive 50% off your digital copy subscription right now by finding the discount code in the show notes for this episode. So go now to permaculturemag.org and dive deep into the local and global solutions that go beyond sustainability. Today I have a guest with a truly remarkable story and journey into natural building. Atulia Bingham is the author of Mudball and Mud Mountain, both of which cover her incredible experiences moving to the countryside in Turkey and learning to build her own home with earth bags. She has also written numerous educational manuals on earth bag building, clay plasters, and much more as well as blogging about her experiences. In this interview, Atulia talks about how she first moved onto her bare land in rural Turkey after some economic struggles and learned to do without the comforts that she'd grown accustomed to. We also go into detail about tons of natural building techniques including earth bag construction, applications of limecrete, the pros and cons of earth bags when compared to other earthen building techniques, and much more. Atulia also talks a lot about her process and journey that many of you who are making or have already made transitions in your lifestyle will certainly relate to. I also caught up with her as she travels around northern Spain and talks a lot about this new transition of her own. So let me turn things over now to Atulia Bingham. Hey Atulia, what a pleasure to have you here today. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Oliver. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm actually visiting family in the States, so I'm not in Guatemala this time. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Which is normally where I live. But actually, right, so right. where are you calling in from? Well, from Spain. Yes, I'm not I'm not in Turkey. Is that maybe why the the timing was a little bit funny? But um, yeah, I'm actually in Spain at the moment. Yeah. What part yeah. of Spain are you in? I'm in northern Spain. It's stunning. Absolutely stunning. Oh, man, that's one of the parts of that country I haven't seen before. I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, really um, mesmerizing. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we're going to get into some of your travels later in the questions, but how about we start out uh, by telling us a bit about your background and how you first found out about natural building and earth bag construction. Right. Well, I had no building experience at all. I had, I thought I had no interest in building. Um, I was a teacher and I'd been living in Turkey for about, well, the, back then it must have been about 15 years I'd been there, maybe a bit less. And, um, and, I, and the reason I started was because I ran out of money, completely ran out of money. I bankrupted myself after a couple of, of very poor business, business moves. And, um, and I had no money. And all I had left that wasn't collateral for a debt in some way was a piece of land in, um, in southern Turkey, beautiful plot of land, but small, only a couple of acres. And, um, and so I, I moved up there. It was May, so it was coming into summer. And I moved up there in a tent just because I was exhausted. I was burned out and I couldn't think what else to do, actually. And so I was there in a tent in, in a field with no power and no running water. Um, and within, within a couple of weeks, it, I just began to transform and I started making little things, you know, as you have to, to survive, you know, camp style things, um, making myself a little bathroom and then a little kitchen and little shade for, for the, um, for the tent and slowly, but sh I, I, but surely I became, well, uh, sort of, I, I became fascinated by, by building and I realized I loved it and I just never really 
never been introduced to it. That's why I thought I didn't like it. <laughs> and, um, and, and it went from there. And I ended up, I stayed up there for eight months in this tent. And I, by this stage, I was, I was, I'd become wild woman. I was in, I was in love with the place and I was, I loved the scorpions and I loved everything about it. Um, and so I thought that's, I, I was sure I was never going to live in a house again. I said, walls are for losers. I don't need them. I love my canvas. Um, this is my life. And then, and then winter arrived as it does. <laughs> and a, sto <laughs> a storm arrived and nearly blew me off, off the, off the hill basically, because the storms there in winter are pretty, yeah, pretty big. I'm not, not quite as bad as, as you, you've been having over there, but nonetheless, um yeah it was a pretty big storm and so I realized I mean the tent tent sort of just kind of yeah leaked everywhere and I was left huddled in the tent with um with my belongings and I I thought I have to have a house and why did I choose earth bag um well I'd seen a friend of mine had built these little earth bag structures and that was the first person who'd ever done it in Turkey. Uh, and I'd seen them and I'd been talking to him sort of about, I don't know, three or four months ago about these structures. And he'd said, Oh, it's so easy. Anyone can do it. And so, and I wanted, I decided that I wanted a roundhouse and I could see from my land that I had a lot of decent earth. I could see that. That was clear. I already knew that. So it made sense to make something from mud. And so, so hang on one second. I gave it a go. What do you mean yeah, by, by decent earth? What are you talking about there? Yeah, you need, for earth bag building, you need about 25, 20, 25% clay content is, is optimum, really. And that's exactly what it was. It was sort of 20% clay content. So when oh, so you've you got that. Mixed batch, that's great. Yes, it was it was incredible. Um, <laughs> and so and so all I needed to do was use that earth in the bags. And when and when you wet, you put the, the earth in damp. And then when you tamp it down, it forms a solid sort of clay earth brick that when it dries becomes just like concrete, really. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, I know you've written extensively about all of this in your book, Mudball, and in your blog as well. But could you tell our listeners about the steps that you took to start to build your own earthbag house? Yes. Well, first of all, I called my my guard my gardening help man Jalal, who was my my right hand man in all things garden and construction. Because I still didn't re I really didn't know anything to be honest. I, I I mean, really, I hadn't even put a shelf up um, when I moved on that land. That's the state of of. <laughs> of greenness that I was about building. So he, and he came and I said, Jalal, we're going to make a house. And he said, yeah, we told you you should make a house months ago. <laughs> and I, and I said, yeah, we need to, we need to get moving. And he said, you're right. Winter's here. <laughs> what are we going to do? He said, make a hut. I know how to make huts. I said, well, actually I want an earth bag house. And he just looked at me. He's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> And I told him what to do and I showed him how we were going to do it. And so we started by um, measuring the, well, we started by drawing a circle uh, on the ground as to how big we wanted the house, digging about a half meter trench for the foundations and filling that with, with rubble and stones. And then I, I got the bags shipped in from Istanbul um, and which and it's it's incredibly inexpensive because I really had no I had had no money I mean very little money to do this with but I I still managed because the, it's such a cheap method to use all you need is the earth and the bags and some barbed wire that's sort of I mean you obviously need wood for your door frames as well and for your roof the roof's the most expensive bit but you can get a house up very very cheaply with this method so um, we got the bags in then we started laying we laid two the first two layers we made a stem wall with with gravel filled bags um which was excellent because it although it's a very dry climate in the summer in winter it floods a lot there's a huge rainfalls that happen and that 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 gravel foundation the rubble trench foundation with the gravel stem wall worked a treat it really did my my floor was bone dry all the time and and then after that we we uh filled the bags up with 
the earth mix the earth and cl- the clay earth which was just my earth the Actually, earth mix yeah, yeah can you talk about that like, a little bit so for those who are unfamiliar with earth bag construction what sort of bags did you use what are the bags filled with and how did those walls start to go up Right. Well, the, there's two kinds of bags that you can use. And the, the most natural method would be to use burlap bags for sure. And I use polypropylene bags for two reasons. A, I couldn't find decent burlap bags in Turkey. B, if you're in a damp climate with earthquakes, which is what I was in, <laughs> um, you the, the bags can rot, burlap can rot. So I needed to be sure. I mean, I've sat, I've sat even in that house through four earthquakes and, and, when you're in an earthquake zone like Turkey, you want to know that your house is not going to fall on you. So that, that was always in the back of my mind. So I used the polypropylene bags. And uh, and then and then you asked about how – what was the next question? Sorry. Yeah. Um, about how so the wall went up. Exactly. How do you start stacking them and what sort of keeps the layers together? Right. Uh, you – so, th- so there's a method. You sort of fill the bags up a little way, and then you have to kind of crush the earth down in them so they get a nice square bottom. And then you fill the rest of the sack up, and then you fold the sack up just like a parcel and lay it on the ground. And you go round like that in a circle. So they're all squashed in. And once the circle's complete, you get a heavy block of wood or whatever, something flat and smooth and heavy, and you go round and tamp. It's called tamping. Tamp all the bags, and that squashes the earth flat and creates this solid clay earth brick. And then on the top of that, you will run two layers, two rows of thick industrial strength barbed wire. And that's what's holding all the bags together. That's what's holding the layers together, and that's the tensile strength of the building. That's what stops it falling apart in an earthquake. Oh, marvelous. Okay, so that's that's your bond in between where yeah. perhaps with Adobe they would use mortar. It's the yes. It's the wire that's giving the friction needed. Yeah, and that is why um, much I love Adobe. Don't don't get. I'm not certainly not knocking Adobe or Cobb actually, but um, that's the difference. That's why Earthbag outperforms every other building method for earthquakes. Really? <laughs> that's why. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 even it's um it's broken or nearly broken the shake tables they have to stop using the shake tables because the structure is, is is just holding yeah no kidding. yeah yeah now i know you mentioned that you filled the bottom layers of of the bags with gravel and use that as your foundation do you know of other yeah. types of foundations that are available for earth bag houses Yep, you can. I mean, the rubble trench, I I'd always really recommend the rubble trench foundation, no matter where you are. That's that it's an excellent it's it's the, the sort of basic um, original foundation method that we always used to use. And it's it's perfect for wet climates. It just does the job. But if you mean the stem wall, uh, you could fill like the bags with other things such as, for example, lime crate. Um, will be a, a great example. Another very good, uh, well-performing um, material in the damp. And I don't personally recommend concrete at all. People do do it with concrete. And I've been in earthbag houses with concrete foundations, and they're always damp because concrete holds the wet. This is the, the, uh, natural building, earth-based building, and and mainstream c- construction with concrete and iron are two separate methods and they don't the materials don't go together it's it's quite difficult to to um get this home to people sometimes you know concrete doesn't really mix very well with earth because it holds the damp and then of course all that damp wicks up into your wall which you don't want so limecrete on the other hand gets rid of water very very fast that's what it does it it just um sucks up all of sorry it doesn't suck up it gets rid of the water so it just keeps it dry the whole time through the porousness the porousness because it's breathing yes that's right because it's breathing whereas um portland cement isn't exactly so talk a little bit about how you've experimented with limecrete some of the different additives and such that give it stronger properties and if you could also explain what limecrete is and how you've used it in your own building. 
Yeah, LimeCrete's so easy to use. I'm actually sort of baffled as to why people aren't using it more. I think it's just because they don't know anymore. Um, it's very, very easy. It, there are many, it's very complicated to get into all the different kinds of lime, but basically you want um, <coughs> uh, a non-hydraulic or a high, uh, kind of lime. You can get it in bags or you can get it in a putty. And the putty is better for plasters and the bagged type lime is often better for things like limecrete. But that's that's a, there's a whole topic about that. So I'm not going to go into that. Can people yeah, have written yeah, books on, that on it? So. Perhaps I'll do a podcast sometime about the whole <laughs> yeah, lime cycle. It's pretty it's quite, in-depth. Yeah, it's quite complicated, all the different types there are. But anyway, you're going to mix your lime with sand. That will give you a lime plaster. And if you need a pozzolan, something like a burnt substance such as ash, um, brick dust, something which has been burned. You can even buy pozzolans from um, construction uh, suppliers and mix it into your lime with your lime and your sand. And that pozzolan creates a reaction which makes the lime, uh, lime crete set really, really hard. So, yeah, that's how you make lime crete. And how have I used it? Well, I use I came to the lime crete thing because I was I was using mud for everything and I used it if, as a mortar in my stone walls as well so I was using my mud plaster everywhere but there were certain areas where it was failing um, one of them was my back step another one was the sink because these areas were getting wet and they were getting a lot of hardware and I needed something else so I started experimenting with lime crete and it was brilliant it was it, I was just banging my head as to why I hadn't done this earlier because it's so easy I just used ash from my stove with sand and and lime mixed it all up and it was it was great you can add other things as i said like brick dust marble dust um also create really nice results with it fantastic now uh let's let's flip it a little bit and here's so if you could tell me a little bit about what some of the drawbacks or difficulties when building with earth bags are yeah the the difficult part about earth bag building is that it's very labor intensive you want a motivated team <laughs> um yeah, yeah, and you need it. You need. We did it actually with four or five people. My my own house, but and it took about six weeks, which isn't too bad. Um, but yeah, and we were only really working three or four days a week because because that's all we could manage because we're getting tired. But it is tiring. It's, it's it requires quite a lot of lifting. So of of earth, you know. So it is quite labor intensive. I'd say that's the major drawback. I can't really think of another one. Fair enough. Now, I know that one of the things that confounds people the most when it comes to earthen building is how to integrate windows, doors, shelves, and sometimes even attach the roof securely. How have you had success integrating these features into your own house? Yeah, well, well, if you you have to with earth bag, you have to anchor it in. And it's actually quite simple once you've sort of got the the basic concept behind it is quite you can do it with everything everything has to be anchored into the wall uh, and so it pays to plan which i'm not very good at but anyway it plays to plan before you start because you're going to um need to know where everything on in is going to go on the wall for what do i mean by anchoring well you need to have usually use pieces of wood which you would slot between the layers of earth bag and they would have barbed wire going nailed onto them so that the earth bag is squashed onto them and those pieces of wood add act as anchors that later on you can bang um, window frames into or door frames into and the same goes for the roof really you set you you lay wooden anchors all over the roof and then nail those anchors into the bags and barb wire them and then you can have something to bang your roof into it's a bit difficult to explain without seeing it i must admit it needs a it needs a an example or a photograph yeah no certainly and i go over this a lot in the courses that i teach to uh, doing like dead men and different ways of anchoring things into dissimilar materials it's, uh, it's a bit of a challenge if you haven't done it before, and diagrams certainly help, but uh, I think you did yeah, explain that yeah. quite well. Now, I know that you've also incorporated a lot of off-grid features into your building, mostly out of necessity, like you were talking about in the beginning. You didn't have access to running water, any electricity. 
Could you go over some of the success and challenges with things like composting toilets, uh, lighting, water, and access to other amenities, as well as anything else that you'd like to address uh, during your time living out there? Yes, uh, composting toilet was was brilliant. Uh, so easy to make. I, I, I even have one in my van now. I'm traveling now in a van. I've even made one in the van. They're so easy to use, um, so easy to make. So composting toilet, I, I'm a fan of. Um, yeah, I've been converted, never go back. Um, lighting, I found also solar power is also very easy to use great the only troubles with solar power is when you're i mean i was i was a very tiny off-grid system and i didn't have many appliances and i didn't really i wasn't really bothered about it because i live i'm alone and it didn't make any difference to me but if you had a big family and you, you sort of needed huge fridges and washing machines and you want all those modern sort of things then um conveniences then you need obviously a much more elaborate expensive system but i was very pleased with my solar power system it only i only had two two panels and um two batteries and that was it <laughs> that was kind of enough for me um but Can you give us I an idea of what you were running off of that yeah not very much computers lights the small stuff all the small stuff plus the only big thing i was running was a little a little fridge but it wasn't it wasn't particularly it wasn't running particularly well although that's because i was in turkey and i couldn't get hold of like now i'm in the now i'm sort of in europe at the moment and you can you can get amazing sort of um fridges that you can run off solar that work really well but mine wasn't a solar fridge so to speak so it was using far more power than it should have done so did you um, even have to convert your 12 volt dc to ac power to run any yeah. of those i was i was run convert yeah i had an inverter that was changing the 12 volts to 240 volts and um yeah, that's 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 so pretty much except for the lights. The lights were running off the twelve volt system direct from the battery, but everything else was running through the the um the inverter. Yeah. Sure. How about water? But it, it was it's a uh, water. It was the nightmare, and that's the thing that <laughs> that's <laughs> the thing. In the end, I connected after two years. I connected. I it it, it was cheaper. It was cheaper. To, to connect that was the reality um i because we had five months of the year with no rain so i was collecting rainwater from the roofs and from like for three months it would run it would sort of rush down a stream and i tried to collect all that water into pools but it was so to it was okay I had just about enough for my own personal use, but trying to grow things, you need a lot of water. And when you know you five months of the year, you're not going to get a single drop of rain. It, it was, yeah. And then you get a puncture, for example, in, in your pool or, sure, <laughs> or sure. someone leaves the tap on or, you know, it's, um, it was, it was very, it was a big headache. So, yeah. Um, so, so that I found incredibly difficult. And that's why this time, cause I'm now, that's what I'm doing. Looking for a new piece of land is, the, that's the key thing water nothing else matters you can you can the power thing is not i mean there's so many options for power you could have wind i know people with wind power systems as well it, it's very easy to generate power but water you can't generate it you know you need it <laughs> yeah absolutely were there any other amenities that you managed to sort of make for yourself or have substitutes for while you were living there um I'm trying to think now i what else did i have well i made um yeah because the fridge wasn't working very well i, I used in the end to, i found it was better to use the old clay what they call a zeopot fridge but that would only work in a very dry climate which which i was sort of in except for the winter time and it didn't matter in the winter anyway because it was cold but um that worked any other amenities? I can't think of any now. No. <laughs> well, nice. the land, well, the land cooling system, yes, I suppose I, I created a sort of little microclimate, which which I was quite proud of, and it worked really well. Just by um, – once I got connected, I made – it wasn't very big, a, a small pool of water, which was just under under in the shade at one side of the land – and I got the idea from Iran where I'd seen these wind chimneys where they, they would pull, oh, yes. suck in yeah, suck in the air over a pool, a cold cold pool, and they'd use that to air condition the house. We sort of did the same thing with the land on a bigger scale. And it and it worked. It made a huge difference. Just this little pool of water 
um, in the shade, got very cold and then retained that coolness throughout the day and and changed that climate. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah a little bit air of landscape engineering you did there. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to echo something that you touched on a little bit earlier in the conversation, yeah. and that was uh, the roof. You were saying that it was by far the most expensive part of the building, and I know that's been true of a lot of other earthen buildings that I've worked on. Uh, what sort of roof system did you take on as your first project? Because that's a lot more technical sometimes than just stacking earth bags. Yes, and that was the part where I I I didn't sleep for oh, at least a week when with that roof, and I I yes, you're absolutely right. That's the technical part, and that's the part where really really you should be a carpenter because it's a roof. Um, so I but yeah, I chose and I would advise anyone else to choose the same was a. a f- an earthen roof so it was a, it was a sloping roof all i had was the joists running across um flat across the roof so there was nothing particularly difficult about that um in turn, it wasn't like a like a reciprocal roof or anything it, it was just joists running flat across the roof with with about a 10 centimeter raise at the front so that the roof was the rainwater could obviously drain off the roof mm. and I made an earth roof. It, it, it was actually, yeah, although I, I worried about it and I was panicked about it, I'd say it was one of the foundations and the roof were the most successful part of the build, interestingly enough. And, and I definitely do the same roof style again. I loved the earth roof. I thought it was, was fantastic. Um, insulative. It, it was soundproofing. I really, really liked it. Yes. Brilliant. Now, again, uh, another thing that you touched on a little bit were the types of bags that you selected. So you went with polypropylene, correct? Yes, that's right. And those hold together a little bit stronger, but there are some other drawbacks to them. Could you touch on that? Well, obviously, they're not completely natural. That's the drawback. It's a type of plastic. It isn't a type of plastic that's toxic, and it isn't a type of plastic that leaks into the earth. It's also breathable because they're woven together. Otherwise, the earth would not dry in the bag. So it's breathable, and people often think, oh, well, hang on. is it? <laughs> if it's plastic bags, it's not breathable, but it is because the bags themselves have to breathe in order for the earth to dry but um but yeah the the disadvantage is that they are not natural and they are not degradable well they will in sunlight but in your house they're not going to degrade however i'd i'd i thought about it quite a lot and the amount you use of this when when you're talking about a house how much did i use about half a meter square of polypropylene Mm-hmm. It's not very much when you consider how much concrete you would use for, for the same structure or another thing. So I, I was sort of, you know, this is a house. You're going to live in it forever. You're using half a meter square of polypropylene. It's not. I don't know. I, I weighed up the pros and cons with that. And that's what I chose. Yeah. Considering it sounds like that's one of the only non-natural materials you use. It's extremely good. Yeah, I think so. I think it's you, you've whatever you do at some point you we are we are changing the environment. That's and you've just got to weigh up um, and balance. You know your pros and your cons. Yeah. Of course. Now, did you ever come up with any troubles with the solar degradation of that plastic? I know I've struggled with that using uh, different types of polypropylene in different applications in the past. Yes, in the in sunlight, in direct sunlight, it it degrades incredibly quickly, especially if you're in a hot climate like Turkey, or if you were in, for example, Arizona or somewhere like that. You know, it's going to yeah, you need you need it covered. We did we built ours our house as I said at the beginning of winter, so there were. The sun wasn't high in the sky, and so it wasn't really getting affected. I still covered the bags, and I still protected them with a with a shade cloth. That's enough, really. That will do the job. Um, on a set, on another house we built on a workshop. We it was in the summer that we did it, and we we constructed a shade over the building site as we built, so that the bags were not get seeing that sunlight. But you sure. want to plaster quick as quick as you can, really. Yeah. Mm. That was probably better for your work environment, too, in the summer in a hot climate when you're doing manual labor. I've done that plenty of times, and I know how much of a difference a shade can make. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, yes, exactly. I think everyone would have fried, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
protecting the skin and the plastic. Nice. So what benefits yes, or drawbacks exactly. have you observed with earth bag construction when compared to other earthen building methods such as cob, adobe, or rammed earth? Huh, benefits and drawbacks, right. Um, cob, adobe, rammed earth, yes. Well, as I said, the, the main benefit of earth bag over those methods would be its durability in in terms of earthquakes, its strength, its structural strength. Another um, aspect is the speed at which you can get the shelter up. Um, cob, adobe, and rammed earth, all of them need the each layer of the earth as you go round has to dry before you can get to the next layer. So it's a slow process. I think um, they say it takes, it takes at least a year, maybe two, to get a cob house up. Whereas, as I said, the earth bag, I got it up in six weeks, and that was not knowing what I was doing. Um, cool. Yes. I mean, in, in my own experience, yeah. it really depends on the climate, much like you were talking about as well. Yes. I've done cob yes. buildings in two months in the past. Have you? Yeah, but you then we're in, in Senegal. <laughs> We were in right, Senegal right, as well. Right, so. right. So it's just drying every day and then you exactly. go back the next day and build on it. Yes, yeah, yeah. We could often yeah. build in the morning, allow it to dry over right. lunch and build again. Like that's how fast it was. Right. You see, and I've seen it in the UK and, and you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. UK is two probably years, not the easiest place. That's, that's where it'll take a year for sure. <laughs> um, what else? What are the other advantages? Um, uh or disadvantage well the yeah the disadvantages uh, yeah it's it depends what you want what you want to do uh, cob and adobe are lovely if you want to go slow and take your time and you've, you've got the time and and they're even cheaper because you are really just using mud that's all you're using that's it in terms of ease, like in terms of sort of ease and um, and skills, I'm not sure that there's too much difference. They do seem similar in that way, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's, not... it's one of the few earthen methods that I actually haven't worked on myself, so I was I was very eager to speak to you about this. Yeah, I do, I I mean, uh, yeah, I don't think there's there's in terms of of what you have to learn. I don't think there's too much difference. Yeah, I suppose with cob, I mean, my experience is more with earth plasters, but with cob, you need you do need to know you're getting your mixture right, otherwise you you don't have a stable structure. But sure. yeah, but but. But yeah, but again, I yeah, don't. I'm not, sure they're, not sure they're more technic. No, they're not more technically different, no. difficult than each other. I don't think. Yeah. So on a more personal note, what have been the most rewarding or unexpected benefits of building your own earthen earthen house? Oh, it's oh, there's so many, and and it's very addictive. I mean, everybody I speak to who who's built their own home has the same comment. Yeah, I can definitely attest to that. Yeah, it's addictive. You because you feel so empowered. You 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 take earth and very very inexpensive materials, and you create a home. It's it's an incredible feeling that that you live in and that shelters you, and and then you really realize what a con the rest of the building sort of world is. I mean, that people are spending their entire lives paying mortgages to live in a house and you've just built it <laughs> in, in, yeah. in a few weeks, maybe even. You know, it's, 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 it was very empowering. It was also really unleashed my creativity. Um, and that's why I think it becomes addictive because you just, it just this, this feeling of wanting to create beautiful structures because you can make them so beautiful. You can mm -hmm. do whatever you want. And after you've done one, you sort of start to see the possibilities of others, you know, it's, it really gets going. Yeah. 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 I myself, I come from a conventional <laughs> construction and engineering background and yet I was really drawn to not only of course the natural materials, but like you said, the creativity allowed in it and just how empowering it is for people who like yourself before getting started had no experience in the construction trades. And you realize that you can take control of one of the fundamental needs that a person has. Yes, and I actually that was something that that on that land when I moved onto that land in a tent that became very clear to me. There's sort of people think about survival as being food and water, and actually food isn't your top priority. You can go a long time without food. You know, mm -hmm. if you had to, you could survive weeks. <laughs> 
with very, very little food, but you cannot survive a night if it's a bad night and you do not have a shelter. You yeah, cannot I mean, survive. If it's, if it's a, you know, a hurricane, you're dead. <laughs> right. Well, there's that rule of threes, right? It's 30 days without food, uh, three days without water, and three hours without shelter, obviously, depending right. on the conditions. Right. Sort of gives exactly. you a bit of exactly. an idea of the hierarchy there. Exactly. I, I completely, yeah, have, have experienced that. And, um, and, and that's why the way, the expense that, that, that building is now and that, that people have to spend so much money on that very basic need feels to me very wrong. And, um, I mean, it's okay to charge lots of money for things that people don't need, then they can choose, but a shelter, that's it. That people don't have a choice in that. So, that to me that was the most empowering thing i suddenly feel rich even though even though i had nothing i suddenly felt started to feel rich because i realized that i could i could just build houses well you know it's 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 wonderful yeah absolutely and it also really helps you to prioritize exactly what it is you need in your life as far as comforts and amenities it seems like you realize pretty quickly that you know having perhaps hot water for a shower wasn't the most important thing maybe you know, a lot of other amenities that's, yes. quickly became more or less important. <laughs> yes, that's so true. And uh, yeah, um, it's been so yeah, it's been so long now that uh, you sort of get used to things and you don't realize how you've changed. But that, yes, and it, and it's it's stayed with me. Um, the things that I thought I needed, I realized I didn't need at all. And and I realize now that I need other things which other people. Th- think they don't need probably and that i need now for example nature and peace and quiet um to me are are like fresh air whereas and i would happily sacrifice them for cold for hot water just as you said um i realized i didn't really need hot water no it's absolutely right you can find ways of getting around nearly everything i didn't have a washing machine um and and i got you get you get really good at hand washing for example you just get skilled in in other areas you never have to repair all these machines that keep going wrong it's not your problem anymore it's it's i don't know i've (laughs) Yeah, I'm very much the same way. I lived for a long time without any hot water or many of those amenities. And now even when I have them, I don't bother to use them. I've just become accustomed and it's what I prefer. Yeah, yeah. And I remember at one point having to, wanting to go and wash my clothes and I'm thinking, it was sort of at the beginning and thinking I needed to go and borrow somebody's washing machine because I had something heavy to wash. And I remember going to this person's house and I remember having to sit there and it was a little old lady in the village. They were being kind. (laughs) But I remember just sitting there thinking, oh, it would have been so much easier just to wash them myself because I had to sit there for two hours and have this this, this painful conversation. (laughs) And I could have just washed them by hand, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. It would have been done in 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) All right, so let's switch gears here again. Um, And I know you've actually now moved out of that original mud home that you built, and you're traveling in search of a new base. Could you talk a little bit about what inspired you to... Yeah, could you um, talk a little bit about what inspired you to move and what it is you're searching for now that you have sort of renewed priorities? Yes, there's so... Yeah, it was... I never thought I would. I fell in love with that piece of land, and it changed me. And I never ever thought I would leave it. Um, I, I very much thought I would die there. And then suddenly, I, I, well, I began to get sort of messages that maybe I should be moving on. And I didn't. I didn't pay them any attention. Really, I sort of really resisted. Um, I didn't want to move and then my neighbor and I only had one neighbor that really was on my border uh she gave her land to her children and they bulldozed right up to to the boundary and they were going to put a house there and it all changed for me because it had been my secret little world where, where you couldn't even see the house and you could there was no proper road down. So it was very, very secluded. You could only really walk down or you needed a Jeep. And so no one ever could see me. No one ever got there. And suddenly there was this. Yeah, the, the, it, it changed it for me. 
And at the same time, a friend of mine was hunting for land and he was in Portugal and Spain and he started sending me photos of the land and I just looked at it and I felt something sort of pop inside me. And I also, at the same time, started imagining building another house. And this is what I mean about this this thing becomes addictive because as soon as I started thinking about building another mud house, I became very excited at the thought of it. Oh, I'm just um, the same way. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you just come up with all these different design yes, ideas. You're like, oh, yes. how could I integrate that feature? And, yeah, exactly. But I didn't really, I mean, I have, I had never been to Spain or Portugal. I'd lived in Turkey for 20 years. So I didn't know that I would like it or not. And I wasn't, I wasn't, still wasn't sure. And of course I loved that land and I couldn't give it up. And then a number of things happened one after the other. And I really felt I was being kicked out. Um, we had a forest fire that, that, that came very close. Oh to yeah, my I head. saw those pictures yes. on your blog. That's wild. Uh, and I thought I'd actually lost the house. I assumed I, I, we evacuated, and I assumed that was the end of it. And I remember cursing at the time, saying, "Why didn't I sell the land? <laughs> now it's just a charred heap." <laughs> but it didn't. It just, I just, the wind changed at the last minute, and the, and it absolutely changed direction you can see you could see a line of the where the burnt trees were it was it was it was very strange um and that so then i started to think you know what things keep happening um maybe i need to put my land maybe i do need to sell it and then of course there was a military coup within a week and i i yeah i put it i put the house on the market straight (laughs) (laughs) can be a motivating factor for sure yeah, and um, yes, and 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 within a week it, it sold actually. So it was it was almost like it was sending. I felt like it was sort of sending, let's saying, move on, move on. Mm. And now and now I arrive. I sort of I've come. I've come. I, I got I got a van and I've been traveling around looking for places. And what am I looking for? Well, really, one of the one of the things which was upsetting me very much about where I was, and one of the lessons I learned is that even though I was so independent and so I really didn't need much from the outside at all, some things were still affecting me. It was affecting me, for example, that people were hunting animals um, on my boundaries, or it was affecting me that people were using pesticides. Mm-hmm. Um, on on their crops, and it was filtering into me, or and it was affecting me that uh, that, that generally the that there was no sort of environmental protection for any of the forest land around. So so you could see um, the government really were were just well, we're going to wreck it all. It was obvious, and I just didn't want to watch it. So what I'm looking for now is a place which is more more protected i suppose which which and where and where the people around me perhaps resonate more with my own ideals i guess absolutely yeah now before i let you go could you tell our listeners how they can find your books your blog and perhaps get in touch with you to follow your travels yes um i've got got it all on www.themudhome.com www.themudhome.com um everything is on there and there's there's a lot of free materials which i know um people benefit from the earth there's an earth bag building pdf there which i show uh exactly how i built my house it's about 22 pages i think of pictures and explanation so you can download that and there's also an earth plaster i've now got an earth plaster pdf and mini course as well which is you'll see it all on that site there that you can sign up for they're all free and my blogs, my on the road blog is also on that site where you can follow my journey and see where where I end up. Yes. And my book, my story, Mudball, is, is my, I'm an author. Actually, that's really what, what I started out wanting to be. And I've sort of now become both and I love them both. But I'm a natural build, but I am also an author. And, um, and Mudball is my most popular book. And that is the story of that house building adventure um six weeks in turkey with not much money and yeah no no experience and yes so that's a popular book and you can find that at www.themudhome.com as well
marvelous. And if I can add my two cents, I really have benefited a lot from those resources that you've put out there. I love your book. Um, I've subscribed to your, your newsletter and I follow your blog. I just think what you're doing is really empowering and remarkable. And yeah, I thank you really for putting well, that out you, there. thank you, Oliver. It's really nice of you. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, hey, this has been fantastic. And I really hope that we can reconnect. I would love to see where you end up finding land. And hey, who knows? Maybe we could even work together in the future. I know uh, I've got a lot of great. friends in Spain. I love that area. It sounds like you're traveling through areas I haven't seen before, but are really high on my list. So yeah. Yeah, and I'm learning Spanish now, so, so Guatemala could be on the horizon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're doing a lot of projects there, too. So it's, yeah. uh, it's such a fun process. I really enjoyed learning Spanish. And, well, of course, it's an ongoing learning experience, of course. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll get a lot out of that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, again, thank you so much for taking time. And let's stay in touch. We'll yeah, thanks, touch Oliver. Soon. Very nice to connect with you. Thank you very much. You take care. Bye-bye. So before we wrap up this show for the week, I've got some exciting news about the upcoming months. And I'm joined here now with my good friend and founder of Atitlan Organics, Shad Goodsey. Hey, buddy, what's new? Oh, man, so much is happening. First off, though, I just want to say thanks for having me, man. I really love your podcast. And I actually had a great time doing that interview back in one of the earlier episodes. Anyway, probably what's most exciting is our new collaboration between Atitlan Organics and Abundant Edge. As you know, we've been offering permaculture design courses for over six years now, and they really have become a staple here in Lake Atitlan. In particular, though, the Intro to Permaculture course is just an amazing way for travelers, gardeners, architects, basically anyone to fully immerse themselves in this new paradigm of permaculture design. Like, honestly, you can't take this course and still see the world the same way afterward, man. Yeah, it's life-changing. Sure. But like I said... What I'm most excited about is that now, thanks to our collaboration, we're going to be able to offer your natural building course immediately after every one of our Intro to Permaculture courses. Literally, this two-week offering is like possibly the most complete package that I know of available anywhere. Basically, with these two courses alone, I think that someone should have everything they need to start their own regenerative project or just their own regenerative lifestyle. That's, that's what I'm excited about, man. But uh, yeah, what about you? What's going on? Man, well, you know already that me and the Abundant Edge team are gearing up for a big season as well. I mean, starting in November, we'll be breaking ground on a regenerative farming demonstration site, which is, of course, right down the hill from your farm. Yeah. We'll be building animal pens, a classroom, outdoor kitchens and lounge areas connected to houses, and it's all going to be made out of natural materials. I mean, the site is going to serve as a demonstration farm for perennial and regenerative farming methods for years and years to come. And we'll even be offering courses and internship opportunities to people who want to learn for themselves about how to build with natural materials and set up their own farms. Heck yeah. That sounds amazing, man. And honestly, this is just about the best place in the world to learn all these things too. I mean, this little town of Sununa in the gorgeous tropical mountains of Guatemala, like right here on the shores of Lake Atitlan, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And on top of that, you have this traditional indigenous Mayan culture that's still rich and alive. And probably my favorite part is that we have this world international community of alternative people that are open to new ideas and really putting things into practice. I mean, within walking distance of the Bamboo Guest House, you've got loads of things going on. we got the projects that we've already talked about, but you also have yoga retreat centers. You have Charlie Rendell's Natural Bamboo Building School. You have Love Probiotics. you got Fungi Academy. And honestly, loads more alternative, blow-your-mind type stuff. I honestly just feel like this is where it's all happening. Yeah, man, it really does. And I want to get as many people as possible in on these projects, but we've got to make sure that they've got the skills first. So what do you say? Let's offer a big discount to those who sign up for both courses. I mean, all food and lodging in the amazing Bamboo Guest House is already included in the tuition. So this will be like the best deal that we've ever offered. That's a great idea. Because I mean, people can still take just one course if that's what they're into or if they can't make the full two weeks. But this will actually make the two courses more accessible to even a wider audience of people. And that way more people can get the knowledge that they need to get started doing what they want to do. So, hey, to all of you listening out there, we really want passionate and driven people like you to come and be a part of the community and the ecosystem that we're building out here. 
So if you're ready to take the next step and really dive in, there's no better time to invest in yourself by joining us on this journey to a regenerative future. Shad, how can they get in touch with us and see the upcoming events and workshop schedule? For sure. Well, for start, they can either go to atilanorganics.com and click on the workshops tab, or they can check out abundantedge.com and click on the education tab. Either one of these will get you all the information you need for all of the courses that we're offering in the months ahead. We're really looking forward to working and collaborating with all of you inspired and enthusiastic people out there. But even if you can't make it out yourself, I'm sure you know someone in your network who would jump at the chance to get involved in this positive, regenerative, and truly life-changing projects. So this is Oliver Gaucher and Chad Goodsey inviting you to come and be a part of the regenerative future that we are building. Can't wait to see you here. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, where I share updates and pictures on our projects, regenerative living articles, and even free resources and giveaways. Right now, you can get a discount code for 50% off your digital subscription to the incredible Permaculture Magazine of North America, simply by finding the code under the show notes of this episode. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be a conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you again on next week's session.